Hello, everyone. Apologies for the music going a little longer than necessary. Blog Talk Radio decided to kick me out for a bit there. Uh, this is the Radulich and Broadcasting Network's summer, spring, I guess, uh, blockbuster review series. I'm Robert Winfrey, your host for these proceedings. Thank you all for being here. We're going to be reviewing, if you can guess by the music, Disney's live-action Cinderella, which came out on Friday and promptly made in excess of $100 million, which is why we put it on our list, because yay. Money. All right, uh, my co-host for this, as pretty much always, Supreme Lord and Overseer, and the man who hates pants more than I do, pretty much the only person under creation who can make that claim, by the way, Mark Radulich is here. Mark, how the heck are you? I'm doing great. A couple of things I want to get off my chest right now. Uh, number one, I feel like calling this the summer blockbuster series is some of is somewhat of a misnomer. It's kind of like it's gotten to a point now where it's kind of like you know how Christmas starts in October, um, possibly even yeah. August. You know, it's like you start seeing that they're putting out the Christmas shit in August. Um, you know, they're putting out the, the they're putting out the uh, Halloween stuff now. It's it's the, the are, do we really need seasons at this point? It's all year long. Christmas is twelve months, right? It's like a girl's birthday. It never ends. So, the the call this summer blockbuster series, it's because traditionally the blockbusters were were set for the summer, the summer popcorn eating season. But but they're stretching it. They're stretching it like oh so much pizza dough. So now the summer starts in fucking April. And next year, next year, Robert Winfrey, when uh, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice comes out, it's gonna be fucking March. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? All right. You understand what I, you know? It's just it's, the summer is gonna go from pretty much uh, the end of February to Christmas. That's summer. That's the summer blockbuster season. You, you understand what I'm trying to tell you? I do. Uh, studio Studios like making money and hate competition within specific months. So they spread it out nicely and they can all make their chunk of change. Well, thankfully, this was the only thing worth uh, getting all bent out of shape about and including into the summer blockbuster season. Um, wait till we get to May. We but uh, I, this isn't the only reason why we're covering this movie on the Rattles and Broadcasting Network. We are celebrating Robert Winfrey. We are celebrating Cinderella Week here on the Rattles and Broadcasting Network. Did you know that? Uh, to my everlasting shame, I did. <laughs> we are, as I said on the Casual Heroes, which you can hear me talk about this now on a podcast that you can't subscribe to on iTunes, but you can listen to on thecasualheroes.com, under the heading, Where is iTunes? Um, feminist icon, Cinderella. So we're reviewing the, the modern remake tonight, and then tomorrow night on Long Road to Ruin, we'll be looking at the animated trilogy with, uh, with Sean Comer, and it's going to be terrific. But the other reason why I wanted to... The other reason... I, I, I never uh, look a gift horse in the mouth, and the opportunity to um, share a movie-going experience with my family, not just my wife, not just my daughter, but my daughter and my wife, uh, I wasn't going to pass that up. So as soon as I knew that they were making this uh, Cinderella movie, and especially after last year's Maleficent debacle, I said, we we got to do it this year. Uh, so I, I have been immersed in the Cinderella universe this week, and I'll tell you what, there ain't nothing wrong with it. 
It's perfectly fine. There's a lot. There's plenty of grist for the mill, Robert Winfrey. Do you understand? I understand. I hate talking mice from that movie. Those particular mice. <laughs> With such passion, it rivals my hatred of Matthew McConaughey romantic comedies. I, I can certainly it sympathize with your staggering amount of ineptitude to make me root for that fat, miserable cat. <laughs> tomorrow well, night I will get into the tomorrow night I will get into the issues with with the mice in depth because I, I agree with you. They um they really tilted the movie towards the mice and away from the title character for some strange reason other than, you know, it's Disney and apparently talking animals is a business and business is good. But let's get to let's get to the live action stuff, shall we? Yes, let's. Alright, uh alright, this movie again, it came out last Friday. I don't know when all of you are listening to this. If you're listening live, it's last Friday. Any other point in time, adjust your you know, calendars accordingly and what have you. Uh this is the second movie in Disney's attempt to take some a bunch of their classic animated films and turn them into live action movies to make even more money off of their intellectual properties, which I'm not going to begrudge them that. I'm Did really you not. Hear you're you're in the Burton. business of making me. Did you hear Tim Burton has been slated to re- to direct uh, Dumbo? You know what? I I can only pray <laughs> that the man steps in front of a bus before then. Not that I just, Dumbo I is some great classic, but... Look, I don't mind them redoing like Sleeping Beauty from Maleficent's perspective. I don't mind them redoing Cinderella, which we will get to, I swear to God. I don't mind them doing Pan's Origin later this year, which we'll, which we'll talk about when we get to our, you know, at the end when we talk about our schedule for this summer. I don't, there's a lot of Disney movies I don't mind them re, you know, doing as live action. They've done a live action 101 Dalmatians, Glenn Close, which, you know, which, which was highly received. Um, uh, there are equal that they would just leave alone, and Dumbo is one of them. And the fact that Dumbo is being directed by Edward fucking Scissorface, I just, uh, I don't. Uh, well, he's, those he's are, also got the sequel to Alice in Wonderland to look forward to. Are they really making another piece of shit? Uh, another one of those pieces of shit? Yeah, through the Looking Glass, uh, 2016, I think. Can I just take you. anything and make you feel worse about it? <laughs> really, I, it's my I, gift. I, I don't know if you heard me, gift. but I, I want now. I want to eat a gun. All right, let's uh, let's get on to happier things. Cinderella made a million, one hundred and forty million worldwide so far. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty smashing success, and there's a lot of reasons for it. I mean, in addition to be uh, when you were on my show, and I don't know how much crossover appeal there is within the Radlich and Broadcasting Network, but Last year, I think it was, might have been the year before, on my podcast, Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, I had Mark on for a, uh, two series uh, looking at Disney villains exclusively, and we talked about Cinderella on the first part of that, and you can find all this through our back archives uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, and Blog Talk, and that's how you seamlessly integrate a plug, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, we talked a little bit about this back then, and you mentioned that, again, Cinderella is kind of the quintessential... Disney princess. I mean, it's her castle that's on the Disney logo. It's her story that people kind of gravitate towards. And when you look at the fundamental building blocks of the Cinderella story, it's, I mean, it's been adapted in many different ways and sometimes not always as 
not always portrayed as such, mind you, but, I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey is still fundamentally a Cinderella story. It just deals with the subject matter basically as porn instead of as a princess story. And it, it's a very, it has a lot of broad appeal to it. And you've got a good assemblage of talent for this one. I mean, the director, Kenneth Branagh, is a very well-respected Shakespearean actor, a very talented director as well. He's done a lot of good things. He understands how to tell stories, and he knows how to get the most out of his actors. He directed and He was a really... He did. The first Thor movie was his. Uh, just a lot of really good stuff that he's done. And this is certainly one of them. I have very little negative things I can say about the direction of this movie. He did a fantastic job uh, from start to finish. I would tell you without gushing that I thought it was pretty perfect in terms of craft. And I'm going to go through the checklist here because it's a pretty bold statement and and I'm sure you're like revving up here, but let, let us divorce ourselves from preferred content and just think about craft, uh, which I'm real big on. And that is, it was well-performed. There really wasn't a bad performance. Excuse me. There wasn't a bad performance in the bunch. Um, you might have had, you know, you might have preferred some characters to others, preferred some actors to others, but I, I can't say there was anybody who jumped out of the screen and was like, oh Jesus, you've taken me right out of the picture. Everyone was 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 adequate to great. Um, it looks beautiful. It was, it, you know, the cinematography, the sets, the um, the, the wardrobe. After reading through the. Don't say the CGI, because I'll have to reach through and smack you. Okay, well, well, hang on. <laughs> I haven't gotten to that part yet. Um, but, I mean, as far as, like I said, the cinematography, the, the wardrobe, the, uh, the direction, all looks pretty spot on. I mean, it looked, and it looks beautiful. This, from the opening shot to the final end, you are in this world. And other than the CGI mice, uh, which look like CGI mice. <laughs> there's no getting around that. Um, I don't think there's a moment of the film that sort of take that, that reminds you you're watching a movie. You know, they really they took you there. Um, you know, I've talked about the performances. I've talked about the look of the thing, the direction. I mean, when you think about craft, I really think they they knocked this out of the park. Some of the criticisms this movie has gotten, and when, whenever we prepare for one of these reviews, I always look at what the negative reviews are. And this was highly rated on Rotten Tomatoes. I think uh, 87% from, from the critics, and it's somewhere in the 90s, I think, for the general public. But the negative criticism that this got from the working critics out there was this was an opportunity to say something uh, about the culture and they just retold the story. They did a very good job of retelling the story, and, and we'll get to that in a moment, I presume. Uh, I, and, and that, to me, made it actually a superior film than the 1950s animated classic, but that's all they did. Um, unlike the experiment they tried with Maleficent, this was an extremely safe uh, picture where they chose to say nothing about the culture and just tell you a familiar story, but they gussied it up really nicely. Well, given that some of the problems with Maleficent, from my perspective at least, stemmed from the fact that, hey, let's try and take this out of the box, 
because hey, look, it's not like we. All right, I've got a really odd kind of plug here, completely unsolicited, mind you. Uh, there's a. I don't even know how to really phrase this. I've stumbled across a picture through some of the people I follow on Twitter that I felt kind of summed up some of the knocks on Maleficent quite well, and it's her standing in... I may have mentioned this previously on some epi, on some show or not, but it's uh, hand-drawn. Uh, it's, again, artistically rendered. It's not, you know, photoshopped or anything, as far as I can tell. And it's Maleficent saying, well, now, who would have thought that I, this poor beaten-down outcast, could have actually been the object of true love for a young girl? And Elsa from Frozen is standing behind her looking distinctly perturbed. <laughs> Uh, 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 uh. Uh, which, again, I got I to gotta laugh out of that. And I, I don't have a problem with telling a safe story. I think a lot of narrative flaws come when people try to either overreach their material or have a fresh spin on it just because, hey, we need to try something different for no discernible reason, mind you, other than I'm a slightly pretentious jackass who's been handed this particular... Uh, story or intellectual property, and I want to try something different. And I think and by the same sometimes time, it works. Those criticisms. It's you as a critic walk into a movie, and instead of judging it on its merits, you're going, "Well, it didn't do what I wanted it to do. I wanted it to elevate the material. I wanted it to say something about the culture or give us a different spin on this character, and it didn't do any of that. And so I found it to be uninteresting, rather than what I said at the top of, uh, of this discussion, which was. Just look at the movie. Is the craft of the movie broken in any kind of way? Is there anything fundamentally wrong with this picture? No, then it's good. What are you quibbling about? Yeah, I'm with you there. This is one of those things where, again, I'll say this right now. I don't especially like this movie. However, if a live-action version of Cinderella appealed to me personally... Whoever made it would have failed on some deeply fundamental level as, with regards to their material. Because I'm a fan of the Saw movies, all right? <laughs> Let's just <laughs> understand that. I, I think the movie is extraordinarily well made. It's aimed at a completely different audience than I happen to inhabit, and I'm okay with that. It doesn't bother me in the least. If the whole world liked what appealed to me, it would be a very boring place. Well, let me let me interrupt you there and, and share something with you, and I want to get your opinion on this. I mean, normally, you know, you sort of engage me with questions, but I, I would like to sort of turn things around for a moment um, and, and piggyback on what you just said. Who are they making this movie for? Well, at the top of the list, young girls. Girls aged four and five to 100. <laughs> okay? Women. But mostly girls. Um and, you know, they, all the girls that are going to go to Disney and do the Bibbidi-Bobbidi Boutique and buy the princess gowns. And this is what this movie, this is, it was their movie. And I've heard varying opinions and varying uh, anecdotes about children who were in the theater. Some were very much engaged and some, you know, at 112 minutes were like, when the fuck is this thing going to be over? I'll tell you my personal experience. I brought my four-year-old daughter who has been Bibbidi-Bobbidi boutique twice has at least three or four different princess dresses and has watched the Cinderella movies ad nauseum. And sometimes when I ask Lily a question, if I say, Lily, what is two plus two? She tells me shoes and very much indignantly. And so it's sort of hard to get a read on her opinions on things at times. However, um, I asked her what she thought of this rendition of Cinderella 
And her, her answer to me was, I like the stepsisters. Now, this is a girl who, when I asked her, what was your favorite part of Toy Story, she said, oh, what, what's his name? The one that tortures the toys. She said, Sid. Sid. <laughs> yeah. So my, my, my daughter is now showing heel tendencies. The, <laughs> she, likes this, the, she likes the Wicked Stepsisters in Cinderella. She likes Sid in Toy Story and Sasha Banks on NXT. I don't know what's going on here, but my, daughter's the, but my daughter favors the heels. What do you what do you make of that? There? Speaking as someone, as a person who has a flair for the villains myself, I can certainly appreciate the fact that there's a few more of us out there who enjoy the heelish antics. I, I appreciate it, and I hope your daughter never changes that stance. Okay, you hear that, Melissa? I would also say. Hang on, Winfrey says we should encourage her to continue to enjoy. Uh, the heel characters because there's very few people out there that do. My wife says my daughter is very unique, like any mother would say about their child. But mine, but we're telling the truth. All right, go on. Of course, you're telling the truth. Everyone's unique. They're all completely identical in that aspect. Yes, we're all, all right. snowflakes. Wordplay aside, well, the the stepsisters are also the most brightly colored. Let's be fair. Yes. And that can appeal They're, to children. They are essentially clowns. You know, if you take a step yes, back and they, try to find a simple frame for them, the Wicked Stepsisters are clowns. You can almost picture them, you know, stumbling out of a out of a car, followed by five or six others that look just like them. Yeah, they're brightly colored, and most of the humor centers around them. And right. which is fine. And I mean, again, I'm not. I'm only going to complain so much about stuff like that. Uh, I gotta tell you, it's a broadly the two drawn women story. Play the Wicked Stepsisters. Uh, the one that plays Drazilla, obviously not tremendously attractive, but Anastasia wouldn't have kicked out of the bed for eating crackers. I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna disagree with you too much there. <laughs> uh, by which I mean it all. Yeah, man. Uh, when, she's, a, she's a looker. When Kate Blanchett, who plays the wicked stepmother, has to talk about both of her daughters on kind of equal terms as far as them, you know, being both stupid and attractive, I almost wanted to, I kept waiting for her to, you know, knock down on the other one, on uh, Drizilla, because, I mean, in addition to not being able to sing, she's not the best looking woman in this movie by a long stretch. And I also kind of wanted that because the wicked stepmother in this movie is so uh, honest, in by and large. With uh, you know, I got the impression from the animated movie, and you've seen it much more recently than I have, and most other uh, Cinderella adaptations, that the stepmother tends to favor both of her daughters equally, and is by and large, blind to all of their obvious flaws, thus further cementing her status as borderline incompetent, in addition to, again, the daughters being just clowns with overlarge shoes and pants that were supposed to be baggy. Random Simpsons reference there. Um, And in this one, she's not. She's very much aware of all of the flaws and failings that her children have and dislikes Cinderella all the more because she is so is the perfect child by and large and now and 
she's stuck with these two buffoons. And she resents that almost as much as the rest of the situation she finds herself thrust into. Well, let, let, I mean, let's I, talk about the real star. Let, let's talk for a moment about the real star of this film, Kate Blanchett. She, um, uh, she what is I really like gloriously nasty. I mean, there's no other yeah. way to phrase that. She, you know, she isn't necessarily chewing up scenery, but she is the biggest thing on stage by far. She is Godzilla in this movie without playing it so far over the top that it becomes cartoonish, at least not in my opinion. I thought she brought it right to the edge and drew back to, you know, where she's just sharp as a knife and just as deadly. But here's the thing, and I want to get your opinion on this. There's a moment in the movie that makes her sympathetic. And in the animated cartoon, she's just, you know, she's not Maleficent or anything, but, you know, she, she's just a bitch. <laughs> she's just an absolute cruel bitch. And now that we don't have Maleficent as the, uh, the epitome of evil, for evil's sake, the only, you know, the, the only one left here is in the pantheon of Disney villains is the Wicked Stepmother. She, she, they never give her a backstory. They never give her any kind of rhyme or reason for what she's doing. She's just an awful human being. Um, and she's, you know, and, and her one motive is to, is to better herself and um, by extension her daughters. But in, the, in this movie, there's a moment where she may be all of those things. She may be a bitch and awful and cutting and all of that, but the scene where Cinderella is talking to her father and the father makes a remark about the, about the stepmother and the sisters and Kate Blanchett uh, overhears it. The wicked stepmother overhears it. And she's hurt. Her feelings are hurt. This man that she married, and she married uh, you know, to, to provide a better life for her and her daughters because the man she loved had already died once, you know, she took one in the gut. And when he's no longer there, she takes, the, she takes that moment, those feelings, those hurt feelings, out on Cinderella. And so for the first time, you really get a sense of why this woman is treating Cinderella this way. It isn't just because they need a maid. It isn't just because Cinderella's pretty and her daughters are retards. It's she's been hurt over and over and over again, and she she needs a whipping boy to, to take it out on. And it almost goes to the point of making her sympathetic because who wouldn't lose their composure and maybe their mind after two husbands die and in the midst of dying, one of those husbands thinks you're a piece of shit anyway. And you're like, what, what, why? why? Why does God hate me? So I wanted to... No, now, I, like I, I completely said, it's agree. A it's, it's a moment, and she does so many far worse things by the end of the movie that, you, that you're no longer sympathizing with her. But for a little while there, I was on her side. I was like, yeah, you don't deserve to be treated that way. Go ahead. No, I completely agree with you, and it's one of the things that uh, both the director and the writer, in addition, to, I, I can't say enough good things about Kate Blanchett. You're right, she is the shining star, for want of a better phrase, in this movie. She's, when she's on screen, like you said, she's not chewing scenery, but she is larger than everyone else on the screen. 
and that's not again that's not a negative you know there are guys who choose scenery and there are people who just swallow it and there's a world of difference uh the other scene that i thought uh that i enjoyed about the kind of helped her backstory was the one in the attic right at right near the end of the movie when she gives her when she tells cinderella a bit of her own personal backstory and she's still a horrible person but the fact that she's not just a flat horrible person there's motivations and characterizations behind it is just uh, it's so refreshing it doesn't i'm with you, you know there's degrees of sympathy there and then there's the fact that she continues to be a horrible person past the point of sympathy and reason and that's what makes you more of a villain it's not that you don't have justification for your actions it's how far you take it past that point of justification i mean if she was just a little snarky to Cinderella as opposed to her own two daughters for the rest of their lives, that, you know, justified, but then she turns into a horrible person and we lose sympathy. But, uh, again, she's a full character, and I am so grateful because it just makes it so much easier to hate her. There's nothing, there's no caricature there. It's, everything makes sense. I mean, if you want to, uh, the same thing can kind of be said, though to a much lesser degree based on screen time and overall importance to the narrative, uh, for Stellan Skarsgård, who plays the Grand Duke who wants to marry off the prince to a political ally and consequently wishes Cinderella to be, you know, at the bottom of the lake so he doesn't have to deal with her anymore and he can have his political alliance and life can go on and continue to be all well and good within his particular world. He's not just an evil person for the sake of being evil there's legitimate motivation behind what he's doing you just have a right. different perspective and that I makes think, it, again, he's still think... a bad guy but he's not but he's not again just a flat evil irredeemable person he just has a different perspective yeah and i would I, tell you and i think those are some of the best different... villains i would tell you like it's almost like he turns evil in the movie he doesn't because you know look Advising your king and your prince to marry for political uh, for, for uh, political advantage is not by in, in itself evil. His motivations are not negative. He's looking out for the good of the kingdom. It's only when the Cinderella problem arises that and the stepmother presents herself as willing to fix the problem for him does he start making deals with the devil, and uh, and you know and then at the very end where, you know, when Cinderella's singing out the window and he's like, you know, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Let's get out of here. You know, it's only then that... Oh, I laughed so hard at that. I'll (laughs) tell you why I laughed. I expected him to turn on her. I expected him to turn on the stepmother and go, wait, you've been hiding someone from us? How dare you? Right. Try to save his own ass. Which would have played... You know, he went down the ship on that one. That would have been my response, but... (laughs) Um, but no, he went I, down I with the ship. So the 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 villain of this movie is the wicked stepmother. He he just kind of you know he's sort of riding that line um, and then starts to shift a little bit when when the opportunity presents itself and then goes down with the ship. Um, but you're right. I mean, hell, you know, so good performance and everything else. Um, I want to quick just do an array here of the characters in comparison to the animated series. The, the animated uh, feature. One of my big complaints, and you know, you, you talked about this before, is the animated feature leans way too heavily on cartoon mice and 
and their struggles with the stupid cat. And while there's nods to that in this one, this was about people. And in, and by extension, there's uh, the prince who is not a character in the animated feature. He's a goal. He's a trophy. He's a medal. Um, you know, he's uh, he, he, he is the thing to ascend to. He's an actual character in this movie. And I really enjoyed his interactions with, uh, with Ella. The king, who in the animated feature is the only other character in the movie. <laughs> so there, there are two characters. There's the wicked stepmother and the king, and nobody else is a fucking character in that thing. Um, you know, and it's about cartoon mice and, the, and, the, and their life of tyranny underneath the cat. But uh, the king, the problems the king has in the animated feature, he still has in the live action, but he's not the lunatic they made him out to be in the animated feature. He's fairly grounded in reality, Um, you know, weighing what's best for the kingdom versus the love and affection he has for his son and what his son wants, you know. And and that's a struggle. You know, you, you want what's best for your kids, but sometimes your kids are going to do things that you think are nutty, but you got to let them do it. And that is the, that is the struggle of being a parent. And I really enjoyed that about uh, the, the King's performance. Um, the, the stepsisters were pretty much the same <laughs> in both movies. There was no difference. Uh, and in this one, yeah, and well, that's what adds to the running time. I think is the fact that we take, you know, the Prince from being random pretty thing on the wall and King from, you know, borderline lunatic to actual fleshed out characters with interactions right. and motivations. But uh Cinderella and, uh, this one is an actual hero and not a mere damsel in distress, uh, like she is in the animated feature. It's actually it's such a weird thing and, and we're gonna get more into depth of this in depth of this tomorrow, but um it's they you know, even though she's the title character, she's the she's the victim of circumstance and nothing, and she doesn't do anything. She doesn't make anything happen for herself. She's saved by mice. She's saved by a fairy godmother, and she's just kind of there enduring things. She's that. Where in the live action, yeah, she certainly endures things, but it is her um, her strength and conviction to follow her mother's will, which is uh, what is it? Have courage and be kind which I suppose if you're a cynical male is something that you would laugh at, ahem, but it is still a very strong, concrete message that you want young members of the audience to take home with them. Have courage and be kind. And it is that courage and kindness that makes her a hero in this and not a mere damsel in distress. Well, I... To that same point, you know, again, in the animated movie, she's just there. We sympathize with her more because the mice sympathize with her than we do because of anything she does on her own. In this one, she's doing things. I mean, not just doing all the housework, but she's, you know, when when, uh, her stepmother refuses to commission a dress for her to go to the ball, she takes it upon herself to fix up one of her mother's old dresses. She is proactive as much as she can be. And when all of her proactivity has failed, then, again, when she's done everything she can do physically, and it comes up short, that's actually when the fairy godmother steps in. And I have no problem with that. Because, again, you do everything that you can do, and 
I don't want to preach, all right? So my philosophy, if you do everything you can do, then you have to leave the rest up to God and trust that he will make up the difference. If you're not willing to do anything, he's not going to help you. And in this case, there's no, again, the fairy godmother appears only after Cinderella has tried everything that she can possibly do and has come up short. And has lost hope. Because even at the end of the movie, where, you know, conceivably the prince is walking out the door and, you know, and she's going to live in the attic for the rest of her life, she still has hope. You know, she she's still, courage, you know, internally courageous, and she's just singing out the window, you know, living out loud, as it were, um, which I thought was great. And I don't, and like I said, I don't mind a momentary lapse of hope. When all when you as you said you've done you have thrown everything into uh, surviving and enduring and and still you know there are machinations working against you and so someone gives you that momentary hey it's going to be okay here's you know here's let me you know let let's get up off our knees and let's keep plowing forward as I say to the people in jail chin down eyes up get through this experience. Um, and get out of here. And you can howl at the moon when it's all over. It's true. I say that. I say that to many, many an inmate when they come through booking. In any case, uh, but that's what makes. <laughs> but that's what makes uh, Lily James's performance and this rendition of Cinderella uh, very appealing and very interesting. You know, we're with her the whole way. We're rooting for her because she isn't just. You know, she isn't just sort of lying there awaiting you know rescue by mice. Um, and, and, and to her credit, Lily James played the character with a lot of poise. Um, she didn't overdo it. I only have one minor quibble with this whole picture. And, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but the Cinderella story is supposed to take place in France. Yet, I think they moved this one to England. And I just feel like any time we tell a story about people in Europe, they're always British. Like, why couldn't they have been French? Why couldn't we have had a bunch of French accents? Why does everybody have to be British? Well, is that the only thing Americans will identify with? It's just like everybody in Europe speaks British. I would just counter with if they were going to set it in France, why wouldn't they just speak French and we'd have subtitles? Which would be exponentially <laughs> because, more accurate. Because my four year old can't. Don't, don't read get me wrong. I, Oh, so we want to teach everyone that if you're in France, you speak English with a French accent, but you still speak English, right? Ooh, they could have been German. That's where most of these things originated anyway. They could speak with German accents. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that. Um, make movies that appeal to my kids. That's what I'm saying. No, no I, I just, it was a minor quibble. I, you know, I was like, come on, this is supposed to be a chateau in France here, and everyone's the fucking, you know, officers from from the Empire. This drove, drove me a little nuts at times. I understand the complaint there when you apply it to the vast majority of films set anywhere in Europe. By the same token, it's a kid's movie, I don't care. <laughs> Well, well said. Well Look, played. if this uh, were, for example, uh, by a slightly different to- uh, token here, if Liam Neeson's Taken series, which the first two movies take place in Europe, had to be set somewhere in England, then I'd be complaining. But they're set appropriately in different cities around the world, or, uh, within the continent, and everyone behaves accordingly. 
this is just a kid's movie, and everyone's going to speak English. So, uh, Helena Bottom Carter. Um, she plays a particularly uh, dingy version of the fairy godmother. And I, after watching the animated feature, I suppose dingy was appropriate because that's kind of the way she's drawn. Um, you know, she kind oh, of likes to get the word yeah, for she's... things. I got a kick out of that. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Ms. Carter. Uh, that's long been documented. But her screen time here is kept to a minimum. She makes the most of it. It's inoffensive. It's fi- Again, it's fine and dandy. Uh, my issue with that scene is the overuse of CGI, and with many, that was my biggest gripe with this entire movie. Was if you're going to integrate live action into CGI and have them behave seamlessly, okay, the mice I don't care about. You're CGIing animals. Everyone knows what to expect. That's we're good there. But when you know aspects of the background, or what was the uh, the people uh the animals that are transformed into men, it, at that point, it's, it doesn't... It wasn't jarring enough to take me out of the movie. By the same token, I'm kind of putting my head in my hands going, why are you leaning so heavily on the CGI? Why? Why couldn't you have made it better, at least? Which, I again, again, that's my me. biggest gripe. Yeah, it I, didn't My tolerance me. for CGI is lower than most people. And I have a very... Well, and I... I hate bad CGI more than just about anything in the world. Uh, uh, again, this is not bad said, CGI. Let me, let me clarify. This is not bad CGI. As I famously have said on this podcast and many others, um, for me to, to see bad CGI, it has to be Congo-level bad. Past Congo, you know, I mean, unless it's The Phantom Menace where it kind of looks like a video game, it, it tends not to reach out and slap me in the face like it does you or Sean or some of the other guys that complain about CGI or my friend Tom. Like, as, as, as long as it's serving the picture and it isn't, like, grotesquely bad, then, like, I, I didn't care about the lizard guys. You know, they were, they, I thought they were amusing. I do, you know, I, I am reminded that this is a kid's picture. And so they were inoffensive, the kids got a got a laugh out of them, though I think some critics are like that they were they were frightening, which I don't understand. Um, when yeah, they when had the, different eyes and different teeth, I don't like being scared. <laughs> when the coachman says, "I don't know how to drive, I'm a duck," I laugh my ass. Goose, but yeah, no <laughs> goose, but yes, I I got a laugh out of that one too. <laughs> so matter of fact, it's like I don't know how to drive, I'm a goose. And there were, and and that was an example of of of, of humor peppered throughout the movie. You know, they were very careful not to make this thing so over the top. This wasn't Bram Stoker's Dracula. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like Cinderella living in a house all horrors directed by Rob Zombie. You know, and then at the very end, suddenly it's a romance. You know, the the tone of the movie uh, was kept light. And whether you say, well, it's because it's a kid's picture or because that was just the choice they went to go with or it was the most inoffensive and they were trying to make money with this thing, whatever the reasons were, that's what it was, and I thought that was fine. Now, some people may say, you know, they missed an opportunity, but again, I don't need to see the Tim Burtonization of everything. I just don't. You know, things can be light. Yeah, no. And so you, 
I'm with you. You know, there were maybe I think two times when I thought the humor went from appropriately lightening the mood to just stupid. Um, by and large, no. There's. What was an example of stupid humor? Uh, Baker Lady at the end has feet that smell so powerfully they knock out four of the soldiers. Oh, okay, yeah, that that was one where I was just like, really? Because yeah. you can't have a movie without a fart joke? What, is that what we're doing here? We, we didn't have any fart humor, so we have to have bad foot humor. That, that, that's the that's how this goes. I just, yeah. Again, again, may again maybe twice throughout the whole movie when I thought well, really, I and well, on, fine and dandy. Oh, hang on, just as an aside, I don't know what trailers you got. We got Tomorrowland, we got Inside Out, we got uh, I don't remember, we got Pan, and my kid didn't react to any of them, despite the fact that she's a huge fan of Peter Pan. Um, but you know, she it didn't. Well, this is Peter Pan without Tinkerbell, so I don't know how well that's going to play. Yeah, she she didn't get it. We kind of had to tell her it was Peter Pan, um, and she was interested after the fact. But you know, whatever. Like, like I said, we got uh, Tomorrowland, which she had no reaction to, and according to my wife, the movie's not appropriate for her anyway. And then um, what I say was tomorrow. Oh, and Inside Out, which she didn't, which I laughed my ass off at the trailer because I think Louis Black is funny. Um, and now that I see what, you know, it's, it's yet another Pixar buddy comedy, but, um, I like the idea of it, of these, you know, these different, uh, emotions inside the kid's head and one, two of them go off on an adventure inside her body. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'll see what this is all about and she'll, it's colorful. So my kid will enjoy it. I don't think they can do any wrong. Yeah. So, but my kid, no reaction. They've made one bad movie. One. You know what my kid reacted to? Called what? Mark Mall Cop. And what she reacted oh. to specifically? The horse kicking him in the car. So you and I can sit here and crit- I mean, there's a reason I'm bringing this up. You and I can sit here and criticize fart humor and bad foot jokes and, and everything else in the world. If you're aiming this at kids, that's what you get because that's what they're going to react to. You know, it has to. Okay. You know, it's uh, it, you have to have that element of physical comedy because you know they're not getting the highbrow John Stewart jokes. Now, look, and heaven help me, I'm actually going to admit this on you know broadcast to the dozens and dozens of people who listen to these things. I can actually vividly recall the first time I found fart humor amusing. I know the movie, in fact. Uh, to this day, I could tell you. I'm not going to, mind you, but I could. And no. I, I don't. I dislike it when it's done just for the sake of doing it. Again, uh, Kevin James being kicked by a horse into a car. Hey, I wish that actually happened. Because I find <laughs> Kevin James. He whistled a horse and kicked a little higher and got him in the skull face. Well, as it stands in the chest, it would have broken his ribs, stirred him, bruised the heart, probably compressed the lungs. He's wearing a chest protector, and he's in misery for at least three to four months. I know people who've been kicked in the chest by horses, so, again, my knowledge. I got the same trailer as you did and wept for the future. (laughs) Anything left unsaid? Um, I would tell you, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, like I said, in terms of craft, presentation, goals, um, goals were met, performances were great, 
characters were, I think, fully formed for the most part. That had to be. You don't have to have fully formed stepsisters. They could. They they exist as clowns. I'm okay with that. But other than that, the king, the prince, the stepmother, Cinderella, were all. You know, those were your four major characters, and they were all fully formed, and they were all performed well. The look is great. The craft is great. There's no. There were no holes in the plot. I wasn't found. You know, I like the fact that the beats in the movie. Uh, they didn't stay too long on any one beat. You got just enough of uh, Cinderella's shitty life before they moved on to something else. Um, you got just enough of the prince and his conflicts before they moved on to something else. You know, and while some kids may have struggled with the, with the duration and the pace of the film, um, if you're not a child and you don't have ADHD, I thought it moved along swimmingly. So I would I would give this nine out of ten. You know, and just because I'm like, I'm almost afraid to say, you know, it's almost like, you know, you know, like scoring rounds in MMA. Sometimes you, you, even though you know it's a draw, you just don't want to because you're afraid. I'm afraid to give this one a 10. I don't know why. I feel like there's got to be something that makes it not perfect. Um, you know, maybe because it doesn't have sort of the gravitas that some of the critics are complaining about. Maybe that's it. Um, it, is an, it is an extraordinarily safe film. But for an extraordinarily safe film, it's damn near perfect. Uh, anything left unsaid? What are your thoughts? Well, I haven't personally at least said anything good about uh, the character of the prince played by uh, Richard Madden, and I need to because um, this is an odd kind of thing that I, plenty of people have touched on one way or another recently. But we live in a society, and I'm not, this is going to sound like I'm feeling put upon and whatnot, and please, everyone understand, this is an observation, not a complaint. My complaints will follow, but my observation is, as a, kind of as a society as a whole, we live in one that has tried to kind of emasculate the male gender, take away you know, the traditional kind of roles that we fulfill. Uh, I, was, I was talking with one of my brothers about this the other day and joked that, you know, Women want men to take charge and then complain that we take charge type of scenario. And it was nice to see, in a, again, in a Disney movie, you got to see a character in the form of the prince who was not a complete waste of space. And that was, the, again, that was a big gripe we had about Maleficent was the prince in that movie could have been written out entirely. Yeah. And nothing would have been affected negatively. If anything, it would have made things better. And that's not the case here. He's a well-written character. He's, you know, uh, again, well-written, plenty of motivations. He's not a buffoon. He's not just, again, a pretty trophy sitting on the wall type thing. And it's, it's odd that that should be refreshing, but it is, uh, especially in a movie aimed at children. And I need to, again give credit where it's due to him and the direction, writing, all of that, because not enough credit is given there. A really brief shout-out to... Uh, name, name, name. Uh, Derek Jacoby, who plays the king. A very, very talented, long-standing, great Shakespearean actor, which is something that a lot of the people involved in this film have. They have a fundamentally sound Shakespearean background in both theater and uh, film adaptations. And Brana's sensibilities add a note of kind of the Shakespearean to this overall story, and that's what 
it's elevated in a lot of ways above kind of the basics of the story, but it never goes into being, you know, preachy or overly sappy or anything like that. And it, it takes a real deft hand for that. As far as I, I don't like ranking movies by and large, unless I'm ranking them negatively, in which case I give them Ben Stiller heads. Because, <laughs> God, I hate that man. I, I really, really do. Um, you know, it's because you no, like it too, right? I am aware I wept for the entire day and then sacrificed a small goat to whatever elder god was listening to take Ben Stiller from this world first. <laughs> That's my hope. All right. Now let's put that out there into the universe. Uh, now, I agree with you. about It is. It's pretty much flawless. It do, Again, it's two hours, so it does run a tad long. It doesn't feel very long. Uh, there's not a whole lot in it that drags. Uh, I can't imagine there's too much you could have cut out to really tighten it and uh, and save a lot of time. I mean, again, minor things, but if I'm sitting there in the editing room and I'm cutting a few things, I'm saving maybe a couple of minutes. I mean, there's nothing here phone, that really... You, if you're gonna I cut anything, that. cut the mice. I mean, I mean not that not that I thought they dragged the picture or anything, but honestly, the film, their purpose in this film was a nod to the cartoon and to capture the interest of the, of the kids that were watching because kids like animals. But other than that, they don't have nearly the the role that they have in the animated feature. The one thing, the one thing I was gonna say, which I, I forgot to mention. Um, you know, in the animated feature, there's this big, long fucking chase rescue scene that they do, um, which makes them the heroes of the picture, and it drives me straight up the wall. Uh, in this, this one, one... They just open the window. They open the window so that they can hear Cinderella sing. You cut the mice and just have her open the window, and, you know, you, you save, what, five minutes of screen time? And maybe you make yeah, her a maybe. little bit stronger. And, and, well... A few things. You would lose, again, you would lose about five minutes. You might make her a little bit stronger, but you'd lose a bunch of the humor. Mm-hmm. And they provide a fair amount of levity. And again, for just, for non-talking, though clearly smarter than your average mouse, uh, they provide a fair amount of comedy for the movie. There's a few jokes at the expense of the fat mouse, which is always amusing. You know, Gus Gus. But not. He's actually named... The actual naming of that character, it's not Gus Gus, it's Augustus, and it actually references a very famous, very corpulent Roman emperor. It's actually hilarious when you understand the full uh, joke behind it, but... His name is Gus Gus. That's what they call him. It's not his full name. Again, it's one of those... I had a teacher... points to the television when he's on screen and yells Gus Gus. That's his name. I'm just, uh, I'm just saying, it's not his full name. <laughs> Again, that's what makes the joke funny is who he's named after. But moving on, right, moving there's, on. there's no point. Moving on. Uh, again, this is, you know, again, I didn't like it. I probably won't see it again voluntarily. Just what because this movie isn't. It's just, it just content-wise, it isn't something that captures your interest. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, that's all it is. Okay. I mean, I saw it. I don't regret seeing it because, again, I'm here doing this show. It was not bad. I did not sit there in the theater wishing to bleach my eyes. I did <laughs> wish to complain loudly at the child sitting behind me who would not stop touching my head. 
<laughs> you didn't find yourself asking, how the fuck did I get involved with Rattledge and how do I get out of this relationship? Yeah, no, that that never crossed my mind for this one. It's well made, and I, I appreciate that. You know, this is not a movie that is aimed at me or designed for me, and that's perfectly fine. It's Again, if you're thinking about seeing this or taking your kids to see it, do so. Uh, they'll yeah. enjoy it. You won't hate it. It's, uh, it's, again, it's for what it is, like you said, it's pretty much perfect. All right. Um, with the few remaining minutes we have left, and, and with these reviews, we like to try to keep it to the hour running time and not go over, uh, if at all possible. Here's what we have on the agenda. And I went over this with Robert beforehand, and he co-signed on it, so there shouldn't, there shouldn't be a whole lot of arguing here. Um, this is the summer blockbuster schedule as it stands right now, and it's pretty hefty. Uh, April 3rd is Furious 7, and that's just for the month of April, which we're not, seeing, we're not doing anything else. Um, however, May, we go full bore. So we've got Avengers 2, May 1st, um, and again, these are when the movies come out. These are not when we're doing them. You know, we, the movies come out, we see them after. Um, I mean, we review them rather after. So May 1st so is Avengers 2. We need to figure 2. out a way to get early access. We got our own website now. We should start applying for credentials to be actual critics, so we can see these things beforehand. Uh, maybe if, they, if I mean, if there's a way to do them, um, if, if they're showing where we live. You live in fucking Utah, and I live in Tampa. This isn't exactly, you know, premier heaven. Um, we're not. This, no, Jeff Harris, who lives in Los Angeles, has access to this sort of thing. I'm not sure if we would. That's why I haven't bothered. I would assume it would be difficult. I'd have to drive. I again, I'm making assumptions here, but I'd probably have to go a fair ways to find the appropriate yeah, theater that would do early screenings. I mean, no, I'm I could probably get them in Salt Lake. Um, I'm going to see uh, Avengers on the 29th. Actually, I'm going to do the uh, the, the marathon, not, not the whole two-day marathon. My wife shut that shit down. Uh, but I was going to do all 30 hours of, of Marvel movies, and my wife was like, you're you're almost a 40-year-old man. You have two kids and a wife and a budget. No. So um, let that one sink in. But, uh, no, she, she, she okay. She signed off on just Avengers and then Avengers 2, so I'm good to go. In any case, May 1st, Avengers I wanted 2. to see the Avengers again, I probably would have gone with that. But I wasn't especially interested, so I'm just seeing a... Oh, it's not a midnight showing. It's like a 10:30 showing on um, the 28th yeah. or the, it, it's no, the one right before. Shows, like they've now moved midnight shows back to like seven o'clock. <laughs> well, I think they started that because they wanted it like mid. Okay, it's midnight on the East Coast, so everyone wherever that happens to be in your time zone, you're now good. Right. Um, all right. May 15th, Mad Max Fury Road. May 22nd, Tomorrowland. Hey. May 29th, San Andreas, starring The Rock. Uh, June 12th, Jurassic World, which, by the way, for all you Lego enthusiasts, new Lego uh, video game with all four Jurassic Park movies coming out this year. Um, June 19th, Inside Out. July 1st, Terminator Genesis, spelled incorrectly. Uh, July 10th, Minions, July, which, uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's basically Despicable Me 3. Uh July 17th, Ant-Man, July 24th, Pan, July 31st, Mission Impossible 5, August 7th, God help us all, Fantastic Four, and August 14th, I am putting out the word right now 
Jesse Starcher, Robert Cooper, Sean Comer, Jed Lucid, Chris Evans, Gavin Napier, anybody who wants to co-host with me, August 14th, the biopic for NWA's Straight Outta Compton. Robert Winfrey has thrown down his pants and said, enough is enough, and enough is too much. I ain't doing it. You got me on all these other movies. I'm not doing Straight Outta Compton. So I will be looking for a second second person to host with me for the August 14th premiere of Straight Outta Compton. But that's what we're doing for the Summer Blockbuster series. Obviously, at the end of the year, we'll also do Star Wars, um, and there, you know, we might do Gem and the Holograms before that. You know, things might come up here and there. There's the Peanuts movie that's coming out. We'll probably do that one too. But by and large, after Straight Outta Compton, we're pretty much done with uh, with the big movies of the year. So, with that said, Robert, take us home. All right. A uh, couple of plugs, real briefly. Follow the Rattle and Broadcasting Network. Uh, our Facebook page is up and running. That's R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H. Uh, type it into the search bar there on Facebook. You'll find it. Uh, like that. Follow it. You'll get a lot of information, including all access to back issues, because Jesse Starcher has been kind enough to post links to all of them, and God bless that man for working as hard as he does. Uh, if you're a fan of MMA, I'm actually in this week's uh, MMA Factor Fiction. I'm taking on Todd Vogt. Uh, last I checked, he was beating me. It was pretty close, but he was ahead. Uh, hoping to advance, so give that a read. Vote for who you think won. Hopefully me. I think I won, but I'm biased. I'll admit I'm going to vote for you right now. Uh, so give that a cheer. What was that? I'm going to vote for you right now. I appreciate that, Mark. Did you vote for me the other day? I did, because I thought you won. It was close, though. I did. I did win. I don't know. It was like t- I, I, I won by like 10 votes. Yeah, some of these are pretty narrow. Some of them are slightly wider. Uh, anyway, the MMA Factor Fiction uh, yearly tournament is going on right now. So every week there will be a pretty big matchup. I'm in this week. Again, hoping to advance. Mark's already through to the second round, so keep supporting him as well. Again, vote for who you think won. And if that's not Mark, then it's not Mark, and he will take his loss like a man. But if it is Mark, then keep voting for him so he can keep moving on. You get uh, killed, by the Oh, I'm getting killed now? You're getting killed. You're 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 down by like twelve right. votes, and that was with my vote. Okay. Ah, oh, yeah. I figured. I mean, it's all right. Uh, vote has a uh, my opponent Todd Vote has a really strong fan base and is a very again he makes plenty of good points. I, I don't feel robbed if I'm going to lose this one. He and I uh, tend to have, you know, we're both intelligent. We both put forth well reasoned arguments. The one that I was in was not particularly well read or well commented on. But yours, you've got, uh, you got quite a number of comments here. Yeah, some of the stuff Thank that you. got brought up sparked some discussion, which I'm happy about. Uh, I'm going to have a column up this Friday in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. Everyone stop the presses. I know I'm coming back to actually writing on a regular basis. Uh, I'm... This has kind of been touched on by a couple of other writers, but I want to draw some comparisons, not one-to-one, not cross-sport comparisons. I'm going to rant about that a little bit. But uh, the UFC's new strawweight champion, Johanna Janjacek, uh, had uh, just a great win 
last week at UFC 185. I want to look at her, and I feel there are some comparisons to her situation and the situation that Chuck Liddell was in when he was kind of rocking and rolling through things. So I'm not saying she's Chuck Liddell or the female Chuck Liddell or any other asinine thing the UFC would rush to say. I feel there are comparisons, and it's worth making a few of them. My perspective... So tune in for that. As always, the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show on Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time this week. We will be reviewing UFC Fight Night 62. The card looks like ass on paper. It really does. Damian Maya and Ryan LaFlair is the main event. It's all downhill from there. So <laughs> I will have coverage of that this Saturday over 411mania.com. So stop by and say hello. I appreciate it. You will be a lonely, lonely man Saturday night. I have covered Invicta events before, my friend. I've been lonely. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Damian Meyer versus Ryan LaFlair is one of the... Like, the, the, the UFC could put out card after card of just fucking stellar, you know, star-studded events. And then they put out Damian Meyer versus Ryan LaFlair, and people will start piping up. See, this is why we hate the UFC. Their cards suck now because people have poor memories. They do. So, again, I hope for a great night of fights, and we could always get that. So that's my hope. Uh, and that's going to wrap us up for this week. All right, we will be back, like Mark said, next month. I believe we're going to schedule this for April. This will be, what, the 8th? Uh, right. Wednesday after um, Furious 7 comes out. Yeah, I'm looking at the calendar now. Um, as soon as it loads. There we go. Uh, all right, so it comes out March, uh, April 3rd. Yeah, it will be uh, tentatively April 8th. We'll be reviewing that movie. So come back for that one. You can hear me shout about Paul Walker and not being a very good actor, how much, how Jason Statham should have killed more people. <laughs> yeah, this is the first one of these movies I'm going to actually pay to see. And right, I don't think I have I've like, stolen them. I just have never paid for any of them. All right. In order for me to understand what it is I'm watching, and now I've never, I listened to The Long Road to Ruin when I was on the Jonas hiatus where you guys talked about The Fast and the Furious, and um, so I got an idea of what it, what it is that I'm getting myself into with these movies. But I've never seen any of them, and all, right now all I've got DVR'd is five and six. Do I need to go any further past that to more or less get what's happening in seven? No. Okay. Um, I'm good with just five and six. Yeah, five and six should be adequate. Five picks up immediately after four ends, but you don't need the whole story behind it. I don't anticipate they'll be calling back too much to, pre to previous movies. If they do, they'll give you enough explanation within the upcoming movie. Because uh, I've heard rumors that they're uh, going to reference like the bad guy from uh, the second one in this, uh, possibly bring back... Might have been the one from the fourth, too. I forget the specifics. Uh, so, but again, I imagine they'll give enough of an explanation within the movie that they're referenced in that you won't have to go back and, you know, watch the whole thing again. Uh, the first four one, the rock uh, no, five and six. The first one that the rock is in is in five, right? Uh, yeah. See, that's all I care about. <laughs> yeah, five and six. Uh, in addition to being just all around solid movies, you know, so yeah, you'll be fine with five and six going into as far as understanding seven goes. All right, real quick um, with the long road to ruin, um, a couple of announcements. Um, so we had to rearrange the calendar somewhat. Uh, obviously, tomorrow is uh, continuing our celebration, 
our celebration of Cinderella. We're going to look at the three animated movies, the uh, original 1950s animated feature, and then the two direct-to-video sequels. Um, Now, uh, two weeks from tomorrow and then back a day. (laughs) Uh, We were supposed to do The Crow actually tomorrow, but Benjamin uh, Cologne does a great job with our title card artwork, uh, asked us to put that aside uh, because he wanted to be on uh, the Crow episode. So uh, I got with him, and he's actually ready to go uh, for our next show, which would have been Thursday, April 2nd. However, as it turns out, NXT rescheduled two of their shows here in Florida. Uh, one was at the Orlando Armory. The other one is that is here in Tampa. My wife and I have tickets to the one in Tampa, which was supposed to be this Saturday. They've rescheduled it for Thursday, April 2nd. And lo and behold, as it turns out, my wife is off from school Friday, April 3rd. So uh, why am I telling you all this? Because it's exposition. It's got to go somewhere. Anyway, uh, we will be moving the Lord to ruin to uh, Wednesday, April 1st, April Fool's Day, and we will have Benjamin Cologne on, and we will be talking about all four, four, four pro movies, a special two-hour, since I'm learning my lesson about this show, we are a little long in the tooth, and I have to make sure I book it for two hours, <laughs> um, a two-hour long road to ruin, looking at all four crow movies, and not the television series, so help me God. Um, oh, the 16th, we will be looking at the first half of the Tom Clancy movies, and then the 30th, the second half of the, oh, you know what, as I'm looking at this, I may not actually be doing, we may be doing it on the 29th instead, because on the 30th, I will be watching, um, I will be watching uh, Marvel movies. I'll be watching the Avengers. So, again, Wednesday, the first. Hey, where do you draw the line for the Tom Clancy movies? Where I'm do curious. I draw the line? Well, I mean, the first three are pretty clearly their own entity, which is Hunt for Red October, Patriot Games, and uh, Clear and Present Danger. Then you've got Ben Affleck and the Sum of All Fears, and that's awful. Uh, The Chris Pine one, which is uh, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. Am I missing one? Well, I think we were focusing on just the, the, the Jack Ryan movies. That's all I included. Okay, um, Jack Ryan film series. I think that's what we were focusing on, um, and I wanted to say they were okay. I wasn't sh- I, I wasn't even thinking about Jack Ryan Shadow Crew to be honest with you. But I suppose we're not we're, we're not going to be able to skip that one. So I think the first show is going to be The Hunt for Red October, Patriot Games, and Clear and Present Danger, and then the next show will be The Sum of All Fears, and then Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. Okay, I was just curious where you, your line of demarcation there. Um, for my own curiosity. Why, are there movies you think I should have included in this list? No, 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 not at all. Uh, those are the only ones featuring Jack Ryan to my knowledge, and I, honestly, those are the only Tom Clancy adaptations I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, let's see if you're right about that. Uh, Tom, this is all very interesting for people listening right now, isn't it? Um <laughs> Indeed. Let's see, Tom, Tom Clancy movies. Da, 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 da. 
Yeah, five movies based on Tom Clancy novels. That's that's it. That's as near as I can tell. All right. My memory was nearly infallible, as always. All right. Yeah, I'll pat myself on the back for that one. All right, that is going to wrap us up here for good this time, I promise. Uh, again, brief summation. We got shows coming, just one for April, and then... Someone's going to end up writing that and be like, I forgot about this one. <laughs> one would assume it might come up, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so just this one this month. We'll be back on the 8th of next month with with Furious 7. Then... In May, it's all it's on. It's on like Donkey Kong, as the kids like to say. Uh, we'll be going hot and heavy from March pretty much through uh, August, uh, through September, excuse me. Uh, looking forward to it, as always. I like talking movies with Mark. He's a lot of fun. And I'm an adequate host. <laughs> oh. uh, uh, that wraps us up here. Sorry, what was that? All right. Uh, we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you all in a couple of weeks. Be well. Be safe. And behave. There'll be spectacle. There'll be fantasy. There'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. For us, you'll have We can watch it all develop. Starring everybody and me. We'll take the world and set it on its ear. Come on, join in. We're gonna see.